heading on down the road. That feeling that comes over you, that feeling of freedom, it's awesome, isn't it? I love a good road trip. But as I was on road trip this summer, it dawned on me that most of my life I've been lost on the road. It happens all the time, doesn't it? And you know, if you've ever been on a road trip where you were doing a, a, a double, where you were following someone, the, the, the opportunity to get lost is doubly true. They might have bad directions and they'll lead you down the bad path. It only takes just a slight deviation from your destination and you don't make it. That's the truth. Well, as we drive down the road, we face threats. It's crazy on the road, isn't it? It's crazy especially if you're driving through Atlanta. But as we're driving down the road, we face threats from the outside, and we face threats from the inside that seek to derail us on our journey. It happens. Whether it's wrong directions, bad directions, or road construction, or messed up signage, it happens. We're led astray. But there's also those things that come from within the car. You're too busy playing with your phone. You're too busy messing with your playlist. You get your eyes off the road and the destination, or maybe the car breaks down, or you run out of gas. Trouble all around. Well, as we consider the spiritual road trip that we're on as believers, headed toward Christ and His heavenly kingdom, we are on the good road. We're on the narrow path. By God's grace and love, we are on this road headed to the Lord Jesus, but this road is filled with dangers all around, from the outside and from within. But you know, we have everything that we need to make it. The Lord Jesus gives us his word. He gives us his spirit so that we can make it all the way home, even when we face persecution and trials from outside of ourselves, from the world, the unbelieving world. And he gives us his word and his spirit that protects us even when we're in the midst of the trials and the temptations of the old man that rises up within us to get us off the road towards glory in Christ. And you see, that's what the author of Hebrews is showing us today. In this gospel call of the king, it includes gospel warnings. It includes gospel reminders and it includes gospel witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must heed these things. This comes from the Lord himself, from the heart of our Savior to us. So let us give attention to the reading of his holy word, his holy and inerrant living word from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The Word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, we come to our very first main point this morning that the author of Hebrews is driving home, and that is, as believers travel down the path to glory, they receive gospel warnings. Right there, verse 1, Therefore, we must 
pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Isn't it neat? He's using maritime language here to warn us. You know, it's not just cars and planes and boats that that need course correction, but believers too. Imagine that. We so easily get off course and we're confronted here with, with just after the introduction of Hebrews, the reality that these people, these people that have heard the gospel, they have believed, they have confessed, they've been baptized. They need a course correction. They're getting their eyes off Christ and the destination. And this is serious. It's a life and death reality for them because we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to our own way. It's true. And the author declares to the Hebrew church, warning, warning, the red light is flashing on the dashboard of your life, church. Be warned. You're drifting off course from the Lord of salvation. You are following the pattern of those who were with you, but they went out from you because they were not one with you in the Lord. They were drifting. What was happening there in Jerusalem? What was taking place? What was negatively affecting the visible church? Well, two main things. They were facing persecution and trial from outside the church, and they were facing persecution and trial from within their own hearts and souls and minds and lives. And it really does appear, brothers and sisters, that there had been a mass exodus from the church in Jerusalem. We'll see that more as we move through the letter, that, that apostasy had broken out. It is ugly, it's confusing, and it's terrifying. And some were actually saying, we've had it with this message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look what's happened to us once we proclaimed his name and confessed him to be the Savior. This road is too hard. We're facing persecution. We're losing our personal peace and affluence. We're losing our money and our power. We're done with this. We're going to go back to the old way the culture says is okay. Temple worship, so they bailed. Pretty matter-of-factly, they rejected the Christ. They went back to temple worship. They went back to all things Old Testament without the Lord Jesus Christ, the sum and the substance of all things Old Testament. It's amazing. It's like they were given the Grand Canyon of glory. And facing temporal persecution and trials, they turned away from that to the sandbox in their backyard. And they abandoned the faith. That's the scene. And believers were in trial. They were being tempted. And the the apostle is saying to them, don't you do it. Don't you fall away. Hold fast to Christ. Don't deviate from him in the course. He's just laid the summary of why in chapter 1. He sets up the thrust of the rest of this letter with the glories of Hebrews chapter 1 and then that word, therefore. Therefore, pay attention to what you've heard. Pay attention to the heart of the gospel. Get your eyes back on Jesus Christ the King. Now notice, in the midst of this trial and trouble, he doesn't call for a study committee. He doesn't call for a conference or a debate. No, he says, get back to what you've heard. The milk, 
of the gospel, the truth, the summary of all things right there in chapter 1. The glory of it that Christ Jesus is the King. He's the Lord. He is the eternal Son of God who has accomplished all of redemption through His, his life lived out. Through his active and passive obedience to the law of God, the word of God, he is the savior of God's people. He is the creator of all things. He's the recreator and he's the heir of all things. That's the summary in chapter one. It's glorious. It is the essential truths of the Christian faith without which there is no salvation. Boom. Summary, chapter one. What's the heart of this foundational message? Well, Christ is Lord. Christ is Messiah. He's done it all through the glory of his life as he labored and loved and lived in his thinking and his doing and his speaking and his acting. He was perfect and pure and he went forth to the cross to bear the sin and the punishment of his people to be killed. He died. He was buried to take away our sin and our shame. But hallelujah, the resurrection, the glory of the resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the place of power and authority, that is the core of the gospel message. Christ the King, Jesus Christ is Lord, was the very first confession of the church. You see, the gospel is not really all that complicated. Children can understand it. It's easy to understand the reality of this truth as the Spirit opens our minds and our hearts, the message that Christ is King. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 10 can say so clearly, so succinctly, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is. But you see, when the church gets her eyes off Christ, the attacks that come from the unbelieving world and the temptations that rise up within us, we can quickly be pulled off the course. Eyes off Jesus. Have you ever been caught in a riptide? You know, they're scary. They're sneaky. You know, you go to the beach and it seems like a nice day and the water's not too rough and it's so nice and and you wade out there, maybe knee-deep, and you take your eyes off your spot there on the beach where your family is, and, and you lay down. And the minute that your foot comes off the seafloor, you're pulled out to sea. It's scary, isn't it? Well, brothers and sisters, just consider all the riptides attacking the church all the red herrings to get our eyes off the Christ, the core of the message of the gospel. You know, it usually starts with, if the church isn't doing X, Y, Z, then the church isn't X, Y, Z. You just fill in the gaps. You know this. We see it, we hear it all the time. Think about all the silliness, all the horrible things that the church has had thrust upon it to fix, or it's not the church. Here in this world, the worship wars, the disputes, the wranglings, the debates. So often today we hear so much about social justice and that the church must fix the problems of this world with the solution that the world says is the fix. You don't just hear about social justice anymore. You hear about political justice and economic justice. But what about biblical justice? 
Well, this is what happens when we get our eyes and our ears and our hearts off of Jesus. Anger, arguments, schism, brokenness, ultimately the riptide that pulls our attention away from Christ crucified and resurrected, the Savior of his people. When we allow anything to take the place of Christ alone in his gospel, we are in grave danger. When we allow anything to be added to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in grave danger. You know, it's amazing to me how much I've heard over the past few years, you know, if you're not pro this or anti that, how can you be a Christian? Or how can you call yourself a Christian if you vote for X, Y, Z? You fill in the name. Amazing. Red herrings, riptides to pull us away from Christ, the sum and the substance of the gospel. Well, these are just a few things that attack us from the outside, to pull us away from Christ, to look for solutions that do not deal with the core fundamental problem that all of humanity has. How do sinners stand before a holy God? You know, I love our earth. It is beautiful. It is a marvel. It's a wonder. And we have a responsibility to care for this gift. But our greatest problem as humanity is not the rising temperatures, but the reality that the heat of God's holiness is true and constant and eternal. And we have to deal with the God of glory well, that's the outside. What about what comes from the inside that pulls us off the right course? Well, it's the subtlety of the old man that's still within every believer. You know, the old man that's been crucified with Christ and by the grace of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, the old man is broken. The, the, the power of sin, the dominion of sin has been broken. But we still have that powerful influence at work within us of the old man. And he's treacherous and he's sneaky. And he subtly wants to pull us away from Christ. You know, we talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul gave the list in Galatians 5. But before that, he gave the fruit of the flesh. And the reality that the flesh and the Spirit, they war against one another. So we have to starve the flesh. We have to starve our old carnal desires that lead us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't feed those desires. We must stay close to the Savior. We must live lives of faith and repentance and new obedience each and every day in the power of the gospel. We do that by keeping our eyes upon Jesus Christ. I wonder, have you ever thought about what is the most dangerous place for your soul to be in? You ever thought about that? What's the most dangerous place, believer, for your soul to be in? Would you say that is, it's the moment of bitter backsliding into a grievous sin when you're overcome by temptation and you, you choose the sin in the moment and bam, you fall into a grievous sin? Or would you say that the most dangerous place to be in is when you're just moving along in your life, making subtle compromises, making excuses to not attend worship, to not hear the Word of God read and preached, to join in the praise of God's people. Just subtle compromises to, to give in to the spiritual sloth that we all deal with so that you pray a little less every day. 
A little compromise to not have family worship or family devotions or personal and private devotions. You see, that pattern turns into weeks and weeks into months and months into years. And before you know it, you are a long way from Jesus. In your heart, you wake up, you realize that your heart's cold. That's the more dangerous place, isn't it? It's tragic, it's horrible when you hear things like, well, I'm not quite sure when I lost my faith. It just happened somewhere along the road. But it just doesn't matter anymore. May that never be for you and me, brothers and sisters. You see, some take their eyes off the Lord during times of great prosperity. And some take their eyes off the Lord during times of great persecution. But the author of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to Christ. The sum and the substance and the glory of the gospel. So do we need a course correction? Brothers and sisters, do we need a course correction? What's the direction of our lifeboat? Where is it going? Where is it headed? Is it heading towards the head and king of the church? Then get your eyes on Jesus. Get your ears on the message. If you're drifting away, then wake up. Awake, O sleeper, O slumberer. Remember the wondrous truths of the gospel. Remember the message of Hebrews 1. Remember what we have in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Free and full forgiveness and grace and mercy. What a Savior. You see, as the world tosses and turns under the weight of brokenness and sin and rebellion without an anchor, we look to the light of the world and we're held fast. We look to the bright morning star the pole star of our lives. And he pulls us to himself by his love. We can trust him. We can trust his word. He will do it. And as our lives are eclipsed in darkness and we are upside down and don't know what's going on, his superabounding grace just keeps on pulling us to him. And as we do that, brothers and sisters, we break out in song. You know, the best road trips are the singing road trips, aren't they? You're going down the road just feeling good, and you're singing along with the radio. You're headed somewhere great. Well, this gospel road trip that we're on is glorious because our Redeemer is singing over us the song of redemption, and we're singing it back to Him with songs of praise. A glorious journey. But be warned that you don't drift away from Christ. So we have the truth of it. We have the proof of it. And now this author of Hebrews shows us that we must heed the gospel reminders. That's our second thought. As believers travel down the path to glory, they receive gospel reminders. That's what he says in verse 2 and 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We see that the gospel warnings come with examples of judgment. Do you see that? Don't forget, holy judgment always comes upon faithless disobedience. But salvation by God's grace comes through judgment. And this is true of the Old Testament church and the New Testament church, the reality of our salvation. 
and the calling to remember, to remember God's word and his judgment. You see, God is God. His word is true. His word is reliable. It is perfect and pure. And he has given it to us through the messengers, through prophets, and through angels. Angel means messenger. God has given us his word. It's reliable. This highlights the giving of God's word through Moses and David and the prophets. And we see it again and again in Scripture that God gives his word. He gives his law. He gives his covenant. It comes from the Lord through these messengers. And what happens time and time again, the pattern that we see over and over. The word is given. The word is heard. And God's people rebel, deny, reject. Break the word. And what happens? Judgment. Again and again and again. Don't we see this throughout Scripture? The word proclaimed to the people. People reject it. People are judged. The author saying, behold this truth. This is true. This pattern is true. God's word is reliable. He hasn't changed. Even with the coming of Christ, the word made flesh. You know, one example of the faithless disobedience to God's word is in Numbers 21. The word of God comes to the people through Moses and they reject it and disobey. And the Lord sends fiery serpents into the camp that begin to bite them and judge them. And they cry out and Moses intercedes. And the Lord says, Moses, lift up a bronze serpent on your staff that all that look to it shall be saved. And those who look to it, according to the word of salvation, were saved. Salvation through judgment. What's the greatest picture of God's judgment upon his people for their unbelief? Isn't it exile? Being torn out of the promised land and taken away from the presence of God where he meets with his people at the temple That's the greatest example of God's judgment coming on unbelief and disobedience. And you see the reminder of the warning and the pattern, they are clear that the author of Hebrews is making to this church and to us. How much more when the eternal word of God came near as the full and final revelation of God If we behold Jesus and we reject the word, how much more will judgment fall? You know, the author of Hebrews is saying, look, there is nothing that preaches the reality of judgment more than the cross of Christ. There's nothing that preaches the reality of God's grace more than the cross of Christ as well as judgment. Because God's word is always a two-edged sword. These original hearers of this word, this Letter, they were tempted to follow the apostates who had turned away from the word of Christ, the word of salvation. And what they faced for their faithlessness was not just an exile from a temporal place, but eternal exile. The judgment of God in hell. How much more grander and more glorious the giving of God's word fully and finally through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ Confronting the world with sin and salvation. The word of judgment 
and deliverance. Again, the gospel witness of the cross is the most powerful witness for salvation and judgment. Just think about all the gazillions of sins that God's people have committed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was sinless, came forth and said, I'll take them on myself. And he became sin for us on the cross. And the Father's judgment fell so powerfully in an eternity of judgment upon the cross for Christ's people so that we might know the blessed exchange, his righteousness given to us, our sins given to him, the glory of peace, the glory of salvation, the glory of life and love and joy in the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that glorious? The free gift of salvation to be delivered from judgment. Remember, judgment comes upon those who disobey God's word. And the word of the cross, the word of Christ calls us to him. What's the commandment of God? To believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to love one another. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We who have the full and final revelation of the gospel all around us, all the time, Bibles everywhere, sermons preached everywhere, the internet, all that we have, all the blessing, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation so come to christ maybe you're here today and you've never received him you've never rested in him for life we implore you upon the mercy of god be reconciled to the holy father through the holy son jesus's heart is full of mercy for rebels like you and me we've been singing about it we've prayed about it it's a reality it's declared to you, come to Christ. Well, we've seen the gospel warnings not to drift. We've get, been given the gospel reminder of judgment for disobedience to stay a hold, holding on to Christ alone. And now we come to our final thought. As believers travel down the path to glory, they receive gospel witnesses, plural. We see that in verses 3 and 4. It was declared at first by the Lord... And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, we're confronted with the truth of God's word by the author, and he follows it up by pointing to the proofs, the truth and the proofs. And what do we see here? The witness of the gospel call by the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and even the church as the Lord works through us. You know, the very first proclamation of the gospel was by God himself at the fall at Genesis 3.15 in the midst of all that horrible. Right there. The fall that plunged all of humanity into brokenness and judgment and chaos the holy God came forth. And what did he do? He preached the good news. He declared the promise, 
the promised one would come, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Jesus came forth and he crushed the head of Satan on the cross. Jesus is the great Savior, the seed of promise. But he's also the greatest preacher that's ever lived. Do you realize that? Jesus Christ, the Savior, he's the greatest preacher of the gospel who ever walked the face of this earth. He came forth declaring the gospel as a first thing. We see it. And yes, of course, he himself was the sum and the substance of the message. And yes, of course, he did glorious miracles, the greatest of which is his resurrection from the dead. But first, he came preaching. We see it in Mark chapter 1 so clearly. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And part of that, to add the stamp of authenticity to the message of the gospel, he did glorious miracles. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He gave eyes to the blind. He raised the dead. And great crowds were flocking to him, and the disciples were getting really excited. Come on, Lord, keep doing those miracles. They said, everybody's looking for you. But Jesus replied to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Christ Jesus, the greatest preacher, the sum and the substance of his message of salvation, Seen upon the cross, the glory of the Lamb, the sacrifice of atonement, the glorious miracle of the resurrection, the miracle, whereby he triumphed over our greatest enemy, and that is death. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah, the disciples and the apostles both heard this word, and they were given life by the Spirit poured out, and they went forth preaching and teaching proclaiming the gospel, and doing miracles. We read about it in Acts 4. Wasn't that cool? They healed this lame man and began to preach. What a glorious testimony. After the resurrection and the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost empowered these frail, sinful, broken, uneducated men to go forth and proclaim Christ and God's power worked through them to verify the authenticity of the message. They healed the sick, the lame. They gave sight to the blind. They even raised the dead. And you see, with the completion of the full and final giving of God's revelation, with the church established and the great commission pressing forth from Jerusalem, through Judea, through Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the apostles were martyred and died and went to heaven. The apostolic earthly ministry completed. But you see, hallelujah, the apostolic witness carried on. Even to today, one by one, church by church, place by place, nation by nation, the kingdom is breaking in because of the gospel message and the Holy Spirit. And you see, the glory of this, brothers and sisters, comes in what we easily take for granted. The everyday meat and potatoes, hallelujah, gift of, of 
of new birth, new life. That when those who are called according to God's purpose hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit opens their heart, the old passes away and the new comes and someone begins to testify and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and their lives begin to change. What a witness to the church and to the watching world. That gift that we all share in Christ, salvation, new birth. But the witnesses, there's even more glory. We sang about it and Doug prayed for it. There's also the gifts that are given individually and uniquely to each child of Christ to be used to bless the church, to equip the saints, to bear witness to the church and the world of the authenticity of the gospel message. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, grace captives, and he gave gifts to men. Every born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is given specific and particular gifts to be exercised for the blessing of the church and witness to the world about the authenticity of the gospel message. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Think about all the gifts that we're given. Think about the variety of gifts. There's teaching and preaching. There's helping and service. Hallelujah, there's administration. Amen? We need it. There's encouragement. There's giving. There's leadership. There's mercy. There's evangelism. There's prayer. There's hospitality. The list goes on. It's glorious. Given by the king. So are you using your gifts? to serve the church, to bear witness to the world. You see, if you're not, this is part of you getting your eyes off Jesus and drifting. So come back to the Lord. He's given us all that we need for life and peace and salvation, the blessed hope, the blessed love, so that we can limp down the glory road to heaven with our eyes on Christ the King, our Savior. We're prone to wander but the Lord graciously gives us course corrections to hold fast to Christ. And we're coming to one right here. The high point of the Lord's day and the worship of Almighty God is the eating and drinking of the supper. Brothers and sisters together, one in Christ, visible words that help us in our faithlessness redirecting us back to the essential truths of the Christian faith. Christ's body broken for you and me. Christ's blood poured out unto death for you and me that we might have life, that we might have the fullness of joy in him together. Let's go to the table. Oh Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We ask that you would Bless us even now all the more as we eat and drink with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um,